Let's talk about now simplifying our focus. Okay, simplifying our focus. What do I mean when I say we want to simplify our focus? Well, we have to look in the scripture and see what is the main thing. Because if we're going to simplify our focus, we, know we need to simplify it to what is very important to God. We don't, we don't want to simplify it to the extent that we're focusing on something that's a, a, a minor with God, and we're missing all the majors. Is that correct? We want to hit on a major thing that God is looking for. And so what I wanted to do is say, what is going to cause us to be successful in this congregation for 2010? What is going to make the biggest difference if we do what you tell us to do, God? Simplify this thing so we can get right down to it because the congregation, they can't remember a lot of things. You know, and I can't either. You know, you know, if you give us a whole list, you know, like when, when Susan was going over the list of benefits, you know, uh, after about the third one, I just tuned out, you know. Uh, you know it's just, you know, because, you know, you can, oh, how many of you can remember what she said? Because some of you probably remember her thinking, quote it. How many, how many remember what she said? You know, okay, so, because it's, it's so many. Well, that's what, that's what I found out even last year when we gave you five goals. We found out that five goals are a little bit too many. Because when you add it to the goals that you already have for your own individual family, it's going to be a, a lot of goals. So we said, let's simplify this thing. So I think we're, we're okay uh, with that three. We, most people can remember three, you know. Okay, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can remember three, okay. <laughs> we can remember three. Let's look at uh, Romans. Here's some possible answers in Scripture now. Some possible answers as we go through Scripture. What do we want to focus in on? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. That's one thing we can focus on, maybe. And, and I want you to kind of be with me in this thing, and let's see whether this is what God is saying. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he may be the firstborn among men and brethren. So I highlighted this part here, that God says that, he has predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. And so this conformed, you already know what it means because we've told you year after year. What does conform mean in Greek? Uh, what, what, when, it says, when it says, I want you to be conformed, you know, what does it mean, you know? Yeah, it's like changed, you know, like changed, you know, conformed. Uh, the, you might use the example all the time that you can cause a cake to be whatever shape you want it to be. All you have to do is put it in the container that you want it to be in, right? And, and if you heat it up, it's going to conform to that shape. You don't put a, a batter in a round pan and come out with a rectangular cake, do you? It's impossible. So he says that I want you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Do you think that's a worthwhile goal? To be conformed to Jesus Christ. He's the one and only, right? Let's look at another one. 
Because we, we, might, we might not want to just do that one. We might want to see what, what, what's in here. Ephesians 2. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Verse 10. And for those who don't have scriptures or, or can you know, move pretty fast, it's going to be right there on your screen. For, few, for, for we are his workmanship. We, the body of Christ, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, he said we are created in Christ for good works. Is that a worthwhile goal? To have good works. Right? So we also, so it's also a good goal to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Okay, and have good works. Let's look at another one. These, these are just possibilities now. Possibilities. These are not, this is not necessarily what we're focusing on. I'm just throwing some possibilities out there and you can say, hey, I like that one. I like that one. We maybe can all agree today on what it would be. Matthew 22, verse 23, uh, 30, 34, 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus speaking, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Would it be a worthwhile goal that we say we're going to keep Two commandments, love God all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Would that be a worthwhile goal? Yeah, it would be worthwhile. Let's look at Galatians. These are all possibilities now, possibilities. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we had one goal for this year. We said we're going to love each other as we love ourselves. We're going to love others just as we love ourselves. Would that be a worthwhile goal? Would we really be simplifying our focus? Let's look at another one. John. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Oh, that's a pretty good simplification. If we said we're going to keep the commands of God, which we know is only two, we can boil them down to two. Even though there are ten commandments, the top four can be summed up into one. Love God all your heart, mind, soul, strength. 
And the bottom six can be simplified into the other one, the remaining one, love your neighbor as yourself. So we said we're going to keep the commandments of God. Would that be a worthwhile goal? Would we, would we be simplifying things? Yeah. Well, let's look at another one. And this is, this is, a, this is a process now that, you know, you have to do sometimes when you're thinking of things. So what am I going to do here? Romans chapter 13, let's look there, verse 8 through 14. We're talking about simplifying our focus now. Simplifying our focus. Romans 13, verse 8 through 14. Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another, for, the, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Wow. Isn't that good? I like that. Don't you like that? Let's look at another one. The Gospel of John. Chapter 13. As we are simplifying these things now, you're going to hear something over and over again, and we're going to say, whoa, this 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 is, I think this is good right here. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How do you know that a person is a disciple of Jesus Christ? Huh? How do you know that? Well, the scripture says that by this, all men will know that you are my disciple. By what? If you love one another. And we already said that love does no wrong to his neighbor. We'll simplify this thing now. Suppose I say that oh, we're going to simplify this thing to just love. Well, how do I know I'm loving? Well, if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to love others, am I not? And you're going to know it also. See, I can, I can tell a disciple of Jesus Christ. I can tell a disciple because he told me how to look for a disciple. He told me, look for love. Look for somebody who's loving others. Look for people who loving people in spite of that person loving them. Look for somebody who, in spite of how they are treated, they still love. Look for somebody who even though things are not going their way, they still love. See, it has to be a reason why there are as many divorces in the church as it is in the world. It has to be a reason why. And I say that it has to be because we are not loving one another as Christ has loved us. We're not his disciple. Because if we're a disciple, we'll put, put away our petty differences. We won't want to be selfish and have things necessarily our own way. 
You see? That's why he tells us, don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry somebody who's not a Christian. You see? And that's why he also tells you that, you know, what a Christian is. <laughs> what to look for. Don't look for somebody just because they're sitting in church. You know? Don't look for somebody just because they say they're a Christian. But even though sometimes neither one of them are, are saved when they got married. And one of them gave their life to Christ and the other one didn't. And so Christ says that you be my disciple. I will take care of you and yours. And the scripture speaks of all the advantages it is for a mate who stays with somebody who's a Christian. They get advantages, you know. Their children have advantages. And Susan don't mind me saying that's, that's the way her situation was. Neither one of them, were, Tom Nock, Susan was a Christian when you got married. Is that correct? They were both unsaved. But she gave her life to Christ. Look what happened to her kids. She has three, three sons. You know, one you know, Chad. The other one, TJ, he was here at one point in time uh, some years ago. He's a Christian. And then has another one who's a Christian also. Right? Three sons. Okay. So, isn't that great? That they didn't go after, you know, they didn't live like the father lived. Not that he was bad. It was just that he was not a Christian. You see? And a lot of people, uh, the kids go that way. But the mother had to say so. Yeah. And thank God because we wouldn't have Chad. You know? So we're thankful. Matthew 28:18 I love the word of God, so I like to read it. <laughs> and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." Now, he could have said a lot of things, couldn't he? He could have said, all things have been, you know, all thought have been given to me. Therefore, go and sing praises to everybody. He didn't say that. You know, did he? He could have said, go memorize scripture. He didn't say that. He said, go make disciples of all nations. And he said that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, what do you do with a disciple? You teach them what God has commanded you. What has God commanded you? To love one another just as he has loved us. It boils down to that. I believe that God is telling us to narrow our focus down to making disciples. Now, of course, you know, so that's what we've been doing all the time. Yes, that's been our hard desire of, the, of, the, of Elder John, Elder Sam, and myself uh, for the years that we've been together. And the years we were apart is the same thing, is making disciples. Uh, I don't think Jesus said... Well, I know he didn't say, go make converts. Just go witness. 
You can't make disciples if you don't witness now. Okay? You can, if you don't tell about the good news, you're not going to make disciples. But you just don't want converts, do you? You don't want to just make babies, do you? You don't want to bring children, just bring them into the world. You want to re them, you want to bring them up into the nurturing and ammunition of the Lord, don't you? That's what God is saying here. Make disciples. Teach them. That's what God is telling us to do. What is a disciple then? Because we have to know what a disciple is. A disciple is a person who loves one, who loves one another, right? That's what he said in the word. A disciple is more than just a people in the New Testament. More than a people. A pupil is someone who sits and learns. But don't you know that your children can, can, can hear what you're saying, can repeat back what you say, and still don't live it out? Do you know that? Don't you know that the body of Christ can hear the word, see the word, memorize the word, still don't do the word? So a disciple has to include a person who's going to not only hear and learn, but going to receive it, going to make it a part of their life. You see, you have to make you have to make the teachings of Jesus Christ a part of your lifestyle so that you can't tell the difference between Jesus and you. Because you look like him. You talk like him. You act like him. And Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And somebody said, well, show me this Jesus you're talking about. When you've seen you, he's seen what? Jesus. Because we are in Christ. Right? Our life is here with Christ in God. That's what the word says. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's what God is calling us to do, narrow it down. But not only just narrow it down that, yes, we're going to make disciples, but you have to know what the process is going to be. you got to know that. So what we said is that uh, we're going to give you some goals that will help you in that because the three goals will help you to be a disciple. I don't think we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ if we don't spend intimate time with him to understand what he is telling us to do, how he's telling us to do it, and we have this love relationship. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are y'all looking at me? Okay. You, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? You know, you, you're not going to have the heart of a person if you don't spend time with that person. And the time can't be just idle time, you know, you're reading the paper while they're, they're uh, washing the dishes or something, you know, or while you're uh, fixing something, they're, you know, uh, sewing. You can't do that. you got to spend some time where you're all talking about uh, serious, intimate things. That's called intimacy, you know, where you're not reading, you're not listening to, you know, your, your MP3 player, or whatever the modern technology is now, you know, you're not, you're not looking at TV, you're not doing that. You're just talking to one another about deep things, you know, struggles that you're going through, 
struggles that your mate is going through, struggles that your children are going through, and you're praying together. Intimacy. Touching. You know, the hand. You know, touching each other. It's nothing like a, a, a woman loves to be just uh, held, the hand held, you know, put your arm around, and you're talking about, uh, you know, the future. You're talking about vision for the household, you know. You know what I'm saying? That's intimacy with a woman. Men, hear me now, okay? When she said, you know, we don't have an intimacy, you know, don't think, you know, later on tonight, you know. Think now while, you know, it's daytime, while the couch is there, while the TV is off, you know. Think, let's sit down and talk. That's what she wants, to talk to you. She wants to know what's on your mind. She wants to tell you about what's on her mind. It's nothing like talking about the Word of God, you know. What did you get today, the sweetheart? What, 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 what you been reading in Scripture, you know? What's God saying to you? Wouldn't it been nice if Adam would have done that? You know? Where you been today, sweetheart? You know? What's been going on? What's God been saying? What you been hearing, you know? He would have known beforehand that his wife is having intimate relationships with the serpent. <laughs> because the serpent will listen. The serpent is there, you know. Adam out doing his own thing, working, you know. Man, we got to get out of that, 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 that work mode. Let me ask you a question. What type of tent maker was Paul? You know? what, what, what kind of tents did he make? Two-man tents, five-man tents, you know, tents for, you know, the whole congregation. What kind of tents did he make? Do you all know? Is it written in Scripture? No. What did Jesus make? He was a carpenter. What did he make? Tell me some of the things that the Scripture said he made. <laughs> Those are the disciples. <laughs> That's right, you know. It's not recorded, is it? You know? It's not recorded. And see, we get all hung up on our, our work, you know? And we think God is so pleased with, you know, well, we got this raise, we, get, we did this, and we, you know, we got this degree, you know, we, you know, we got moved up into this position, you know, and we spend so much time and work and talking about work and all like that. And I don't think God cares. Honestly. What he cares about is your character at work. What he cares about is, you know, how you do your work as unto the Lord, you know. But I don't think he cares about your work. If, if, he, if it was so important, surely it should be written in the Bible then all the work that they did. But I don't see it. We know that if you don't work, you don't eat. We know that. But we don't know all those other type of things. I think that God is concerned with your heart. My heart. I think God is concerned with my attitude. Your attitude. I think God is concerned about 
whether we are a doer of his word or just a hearer only. I believe God is concerned about whether we overcome obstacles or whether we succumb to obstacles. I believe he's concerned about those things. So when we say we're going to make disciples, we said, okay, now, since we're going to focus on making disciples, I want the congregation to know what we're talking about, what the process is, so that when somebody comes in, so you also know exactly what we're expecting, what God is expecting from you at Cornerstone, and what you can tell anybody who comes to Cornerstone or who asks about Cornerstone, you can tell what we do, the process that we do it in, and how we arrived at it. We're going to go over that next week. But the three goals are to help you in that, in just achieving that simplification of disciple-making. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not obedient to the word of God. You can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We can say we are, but you're not his disciple if you don't obey him. You don't obey him if you don't have love for one another. You know? Every time somebody bend you, bend you out of shape or, or do something you don't like or say something you don't like, and you know, you want to, you want to get all mad and don't want to, um, you know, relate to them anymore. That's when Christ is looking at you to see what you're going to do. He's looking at you when you're going through unnecessary suffering. Suffering that, that somebody is inflicting on you and you have done no wrong. On your, on your workplace. His eyes are on you at this time. They're seeing how you're going to respond to this thing. How you are going to respond when somebody's talking about you and saying things about you that, you know, are not true. What are you going to do? That's when his ears are open to you. Are you going to talk about them? You know, eye for an eye, two for two. What are you going to do? Or are you going to bless those who curse you? Because that's what he says in his word. You see, That's what God is looking for. God is looking for character out of us. High character. You know, He's looking for integrity. He's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for loyalty. <laughs> He's looking for deference. You know? Can you defer to somebody else? even though you prefer doing this right here, but you defer to them because you want to please them because they are above you. Can you defer? Teenagers and kids that are in here, can you defer to your parents, those who are still under their parents, even though you don't like what they say and you, you would do it another way, can you defer to them and say, yes, dad, yes, mother, what, if you say this, I'm going to do this, this is what I'm going to do, you know? What I would like to do, I'm going to put under the blood. I'm going to put at the feet of Jesus Christ. I'm going to put it at the cross because I'm submitting to you. That would be lovely, wouldn't it, parents? Yeah. It'd be the same thing on the job, you know, when you're treated unfairly. The same thing in the church when you don't think things are going the way you think it should go. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. The, go- the gospel is not a gospel, a feel-good gospel. 
Do you understand that? Anybody try to give you a feel-good gospel, you know, that is a false gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we are called to suffer. Do you hear what I'm saying? You might not like it. It might not go well if you are, you know, one of these, you know, feel-good people, you know. Uh, but let me tell you, Jesus suffered. <laughs> and he says that, that we're going to suffer also. Those who live godly in Christ shall suffer persecutions. You're going to be persecuted, okay, for his sake. But we're going to also overcome. Satan's going to be crushed at our feet. So there is victory in Jesus Christ. But it comes at a price. It doesn't come at, at just you know, everything goes your way, you know. You'll never stay in a relationship with anybody or, or, or people if you got to have your way all the time, you know. No way. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm trying to teach. Because I don't know whether um, before Jesus come back, tribulation is going to be here. I don't know. You know, I don't know what you believe. And I told you that before. You know, if you believe in in pre-tribulation, that we're going to be caught up in the air with him, that we don't have to go through anything. I don't know. I don't know whether you believe in post-trib. I don't know whether you believe in mid-trib. I don't know what you believe. You know? But I really don't care. Honestly. You know, you ask me, what do you believe? I don't believe anything. Because I don't know. Okay? I really don't know. So I, I can tell you that. And don't feel bad about telling you that. But what I do know, I'm going to be ready. You know? If I don't have to go through it, praise God. You know? If I do, I will be ready. Because I didn't buy no feel-good gospel. I knew I had to suffer, so I was preparing my character uh, during the hard times. See, character is, is, is forged in your four walls of your house. You know? It's not forged in here. It's forged in the four walls of your house more than anything else. Because, because that's who you're with more than, than anybody else. The people in your four walls, you know, and hopefully you have more than just a cat, a dog, you know. Uh, but they can they can get on your nerve too, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's when you walk the word of God out in the four walls of that house, you know. If you can't love your mate unconditionally, you know, if you harden at, her, at your mate, you know, uh, and and you know. Using all manner of, of, you know, evil and stuff like that, being mean and stuff like that. You know, if you ask my wife and she said, well, he's just mean, you know. That, you know, my goodness gracious, that is terrible. That is terrible, if she said it about me. Because that means that, that I'm not a person who walked the word out. You see what I'm saying? I want my wife, I want my children to say, well, he's compassionate, he's forgiving, he's humble. You know, I want all these character traits that Jesus Christ have. I want to, I want them to be said about me. You know, so I can easily put on a on a fake with you because I don't see you but once a week, most of you. You don't see me but once a week. You know, so you can you know smile at me, you know, and everything. 
But I can ask your mate, I can ask your children, how are things at home? You know, if I were a flower on your wall, what would I hear? What would I see? <laughs> you know? Maybe a fly is not good. Because they, <laughs> they got hairy legs, you know, big eyes, you know. So, you know, yeah, butterfly is better, you know. Stink bug is terrible, you know. <laughs> yeah, terrible. That's what we're going to narrow everything down to, is being a disciple. So when I said James, and you thought I forgot, didn't you? You know, when I say that, that, that James was our, our third one, I named it number one, but it, it doesn't matter what order you put it in, we're going to be better uh, at, at, you know, really being better stewards of the possession that God's given us. And we also are going to have intimacy with Jesus Christ. And the third one I say was the one about James. Know and do James. Is that correct? Because I believe that James tells us that we're supposed to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. What good is it, my brother, if somebody says they have faith and have no works? Can that faith save them? No. You know, they can't. Yeah. Abraham showed his faith by his works. Rahab showed her faith by her works. Yeah. And we said in chapter 2, we're going to be doing this because, see, I want you to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. It does me no good, give me no pleasure, you know, if you are not a doer of the word. Yeah. You, know, you understand? It gives me pleasure when I hear that you're walking in the word of God, that you walk it out, you know, that you're not a, a feel-good person. See, I can go through things, and I'm trying to learn to go through more. Things, things you know, really uh, hurt me, just like they hurt you. People hurt me, just like they hurt you. you know? But we can't let Satan have place by ha- having unforgiveness or, or getting into murmuring and complaining and all that. We, that's, not, that's not the word of God. You know? So we're not going to do that. We're going to walk the word of God out. So in chapter 2, you know, it talked about some things. And so we're ready now for you all to run up to tell me what you've been studying. Whoa. Maybe I'm seeing things. Was that a dream that I had when I asked you all to, you know, to do and know James? And we're going to be on chapter 2 in February. Was I hallucinating? <laughs> okay, come on up, Joy. Did Jason force you to do this? Okay. Okay, don't, don't talk about it. I won't talk about it. Um, the verse that jumped out to me, I guess because I was trying to remember what the whole chapter 2 is about. And the first part's about favoritism, and the second part is about faith and deeds. And I was trying to figure out how they went together. And so as I was reading, the verse that jumped out at me was in verse 5. It says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? There it is. You're not to show favoritism. You know, favoring the Bible is talking about how you're probably going to be favoring the rich over the poor. And so here it talks about how those very people that you're going to want to 
belittle or not pay as much attention to are the very ones that are more likely to fulfill the second half. That's good. That's cool. Praise God. Yeah. Good. Give a hand. Come on, give a hand. Yeah, give a hand. Yeah. Some, somebody else. Somebody else. Okay. Good. Melissa. What I've been struggling with is seeing people in my natural life. Instead of the way God sees And... I've just been praying, God, let me see your people the way you see them. Because you can judge someone so quickly by the way they look on the outside instead of seeing them the way God sees them. And the first scripture in James, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim the faith in Jesus Christ if you favor others? More than if you favor those over others. And it's like, wow, stepping on my toes. Because sometimes I will favor more than others and I will see people in my natural eyes instead of the way God sees them. And so it's just so important to see those people in your lives the way that God sees them instead of using your natural eyes to see them. And so it started off stepping on my toes, but then later in the scripture, in the 13th verse, I believe it says, for there will be no mercy for you if you've not been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful, then God's mercy towards you will win over, will win out over his judgment against you. So it's just, it's such a powerful world. And it will step on your toes sometimes to help you see what things inside of you need to be changed. But he's so merciful. That's good. Give a hand. That's good. Praise God. Um, I tried to tie it all together, too, and I felt um, the title that I gave, too, was um, Living Out of the Law of Liberty Through Faith and Action. And I um, use the scriptures um, that when we show partiality, we're committing sin and we're to so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty for just the body without the spirit of the dead. So faith without works is dead. Good. That's excellent. Give a hand, will you, please? That's good. Anyone else? We're we're, we're trying to, you know, really... uh, be doers of the word and be good stewards because we don't want to um, just go through something, just be going through it. And I know that God has given us James. I know that because it's in the Bible. See? And I know that he wants us to know James because James has in it a lot of stuff that uh, really we fall short in the church of the living God all over the world. And so, if we can be a doer of James, I believe we would have made, I mean, great steps for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, because we're going to love one another. Yeah. 
Okay, anybody else before close service? Okay. Okay. And it's just because I try to take this, these things that I'm learning in the Bible and try to bring them down to a level where my kids can learn them too. And this was something that they really, really loved was we did Faith Without Works is Dead. And we did that on one of the Sundays where we didn't have church. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we took baking soda and we put it in the bottom of a bowl. And we showed them how that's dead. There's nothing there. And that's your faith if you don't have any works. And we took a little cup of vinegar and poured it on top just so that they could see how active it can become when you have faith with the works in there. Praise God. Wow. That's cool. Give a hand. My goodness gracious. Praise God. Let's stand. Next week, we'll, we'll take others in the James. Do, do work now at trying to memorize James as you go through some of the verses and things like that that, that God points out to you. Try to memorize some of those and, uh, and get it in you so that you can say, Thy word, O Lord, I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay? Because it's all so easy to get in the flesh when we don't have the word forefront of us. Father, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for showing us that we need to simplify our focus. And Father, we look with anticipation for next week when you're going to share basically how we're going to do it, what it's going to entail, the process and how we can go through the process, Lord, to be more of doers and more disciples than we were this year. Father, we ask that if anyone here that have not yet given their lives to you, that this, this day that you touch them by the Holy Spirit, that they will today surrender their lives to you. And if there's anyone here that have strayed from you, but are ready to come back, then this will be their day also. Would a prayer team come up?